Today's juz, the second juz that we recited, in there Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begins by talking about the discussion of the Qibla. Before we pray towards the Kaaba, we used to pray towards Majid al-Aqsa in Palestine. Sayyakulu sufaha'u minan nas ma'abatahum an qiblatihim illatikan wa'aliha. So the Makkah, the Kaaba, is a cube. It has four sides, you can pray from any direction. And Majd al-Aqsa, where the Prophet was ordained to pray, is towards the northwest. So the Prophet used to pray in such a manner that though the Qibla was the Kaaba, uh, the Masjid al-Aqsa in Palestine, he would pray in the direct in behind the Kaaba in a way that the Kaaba and Masjid al-Aqsa would be in one row. But when he moved to Medina, Medina is north of Makkah. Therefore, if this is Makkah and this is Medina, and this is Masjid al-Aqsa, the Prophet only has one choice to pray towards which one? Either or. But Allah did Allah tell him. Pray towards Majd al-Aqsa. 17 months went by like this. And the Prophet used to look up towards the heavens that maybe revelation will come down and the Qibla will get changed. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, قَدَ نَرَى تَقَلُّبَ وَجْهِكَ فِي السَّمَاءِ فَلَنُوَلِّيَنَّكَ قِبَلَةً تَرَضَاهَا Oh Muhammad, we saw your head turning. We saw your head looking towards the heavens. We will give you the qibla that you desire. And Allah altered the qibla towards the Kaaba. There are a few points that we take out from here. Number one is that is there anywhere in the Quran that it says that Masjid al Aqsa was qibla? No. So where do we know this from? The hadith. Right? This shows, but what, what does Allah say? Allah acknowledges that Aqsa used to be the qibla. That the stupid people say, That the stupid people will say, What changed them from the qibla that they used to pray towards? There are some people that say, We only need Quran and we don't need Hadith. And this verse is an evidence to show that even Allah acknowledged the Ahadith of Rasulullah. Because the Aqsa being the qibla is not mentioned, number one. Number two, it shows us the importance of Majd al Aqsa and how important Palestine is to the heart of the Muslimin. It is our first qibla. And it is a qibla of all the anbiya before us. Not a single nabi came, but they didn't go to Masjid al-Aqsa. If you've never been to that land, then I cannot explain to you the feeling of walking through the streets of Jerusalem and walking through the alleys of Jerusalem and going and praying Masjid al-Aqsa. I cannot describe it to you. But I can tell you one thing, that the moment you step inside the compound, it is as if you are transported 500 years before in time. And you walk through the little alleyways and you enter the masjid. There are five masjids in the compound, by the way. The Dome of the Rock, Masjid al-Aqsa Jadid, Masjid al-Aqsa Qadim, the Masjid of the Buraq, and the extension of Abdul Malik bin Marwan. All five of them together is Masjid al-Aqsa. And the ajeeb thing is, it is my experience, I grew up drinking Zamzam. It is my experience that the water that you drink in Masjid al-Aqsa on the compound tastes identical to Zamzam. Though the wells aren't hundreds of miles apart, a thousand miles apart, but the taste is the same. And there is a certain barakah in that land. Anyway, that is one aspect Allah talks about. Then he carries on. 
he starts talking about uh, his blessings and what he has granted mankind. Then he speaks about Ya Listen, I've made fasting fard on you, but you're not the first people I've made fasting fard on. Isa fasted 40 days consecutively. Dawood fasted every other day. Ibrahim fasted at least three days a month, the 13, 14, and 15 of the lunar calendar. Nuh fasted his entire life, Sa'im al his entire life of a thousand years, a thousand and fifty years, but his entire life he fasted. So I am so Adam also fasted throughout history. Every single prophet fasted, and it was there in every generation. And it teaches you, you know, when you're going through difficulties, and you know that everyone, you know, like uh, if you have friends that are in a higher grade, and then when, it's, when you're taking that test, and like, dude, like, yeah, it's, we all did this, cow. Organic all sucks and it's all is tough, don't worry, you're all gonna fail, we all fail too. Oh, it's fine, I fail. But everyone before me failed as well. Oh my sister failed, my brother failed, it's okay if I fail as well. It's one it's it's it's, it's common. It's everyone's been through it, right? So you're acclimated to it. Then Allah talks about in the middle of the fasting verses, he says, Wa ida you know when things are tough in life and you don't have anybody to talk to and your heart is racing and you feel like you're all alone and you think the world doesn't get you and you're wondering why are you so alone and you know sometimes you think that you know why is Allah doing this to me Allah says when my servant begins to doubt what's going on around him, just let him let him know one thing: for in me, I never left him. Everyone will leave you, but Allah will not leave you. All you have to do is, for one second, turn to Allah, and Allah will be there for you. Just have to try to talk to Him. Every other person we've given a secret to has betrayed our trust. Every person we gave our heart to has broken it. Every person we gave our heart to has shattered it. And every person we've trusted has betrayed it. Everyone we have loved then loved us back. But Allah says, if you give me a secret, I will not tell anybody. And you expose yourself in front of me, I will hide it from others. And if you talk to me, I will listen to you as long as you talk to me. Sometimes we don't want to hear anything, we just want to talk. We don't want advice from anyone else. Allah says, keep on talking, I'm listening. Allah says, I've never left you alone. All you have to do is turn towards me. Then he finishes the, ver the verses of fasting by talking about marriage. So when you fast, there are three things you cannot do. You cannot eat, you cannot drink, and you cannot have uh, intimate relations with your spouse, and obviously with the opposite gender that's haram or. But Allah talks about your spouse, and what a wife or a husband is. By the way, it is permissible to break your fast with intimacy as well. Abdullah bin Umar radiallahu anhu did it one time. 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's a sunnah. It's a sunnah, didn't it? Anyway. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes the spouse as a garment. And Allah says that they are like your garment. Meaning that the best wife or husband is the one that has your back. Because your clothes have your back. They're on you, they're there by you all the time. They don't leave you. And they're with you. They conceal you. And that is why you don't talk about your spouse's faults to anybody, not even to your friends. Unless you're getting help or something, besides that, you're not even to your parents. If you start telling your parents the things that hurt you from your husband or your wife, and they're not like major things, they're like small things, they will automatically begin to hate them and detest them. And it causes a wedge. And it causes disrespect at home. You have to understand that your spouse relationship is your spouse relationship. And there, you are going to have difficulties. You're going to have struggles. There's no relationship that's perfect. Every relationship has its ups and downs. But the key thing is, is to remain there. Your garment, your cloak gets dirty, it gets filthy, it gets old. It goes through it all, but it doesn't take, it doesn't go anywhere. It stays with you throughout until you don't remove it. And that is the same thing with the spouse. That that is the quality of the spouse. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then goes on and he speaks about the story of Dawood alayhi salatu wasalam at the end of the surah of the Dawood alayhi salatu wasalam and Goliath. David and Goliath are the story. There was, in Banu Israel, a time came when there were no more prophets. And all the prophets ceased to exist. So in Banu Israel, there are 12 tribes. One tribe gave birth to the kings, and one tribe gave birth to the prophets. And they would have, they had thousands of prophets in them. Israel is from Israel, which is the name of Ya'qub Yaqub other name was Israel, and he had 12 kids. Banu Israel, the 12, the children that spurred from the 12 kids of Yaqub Allah calls Yaqub Israel in the Quran. And Israel is called Israel after him. So now, a time came when there were no more prophets left, and only one girl remained. So they had, you know, protected her and hoping that a prophet would come. And they did dua to Allah that, Ya Allah, send amongst us a king, someone who can lead us. So Allah sends Talud to them, and he was a king. And they said, the moment they saw Talud, they said, wait, wait, how can we follow this guy? He's broke, he doesn't have any clout, he's a nobody. And Allah says, no. Bastatan fi ilmi wal jism. Two qualities are very admirable in any leader. Strength and knowledge. And Allah says he had both of them. So Talut is going and he has this army of about 300,000 and they're going to fight Goliath, Jalut. Now, we know when, when something is popular, everyone jumps on the bandwagon, right? And everyone will see a part of it. 
When you, jab jeete to thaliyan, jab haare to galiyan. Things are well, everyone is with you. When things go bad, everyone just ditches you. He wanted to see who's really going to be there with him. So they come by this river, Ayne Jagut. They come by this river, and at that river is where he tells them that, look, I know you are walking, and it's been a long journey, and you're super thirsty. There's a river here, no one's allowed to drink from it. And he wants to see the discipline of his followers. And he says, okay, if you drink from it, you're only allowed to take one scoop. I imagine you're walking for days on end. You guys have a 12-hour fast. Y'all, if I tell you that you're not allowed to have water for a start, you'd all just go berserk. But some of them start drinking. And they all keep, kept on drinking, drinking, drinking until they fell to the side and fell asleep. And only 313 remained. And the Mufassirin write, the ones that didn't touch the water were the only ones who could avoid the temptation. And he knew that these are people who are disciplined. Meaning that if they can control themselves around water, they're not gonna run in the battle, they're not gonna run away. Because when you're fighting a battle, the biggest demoralizing factor is when your friends in the army are able to run. That breaks the whole, that, that breaks the whole morale of the army. So on the way, Balut says, look, my daughter's gonna be a princess. Whoever defeats the Goliath, Jalut, will get married to my daughter and be the next prince. They used to do that stuff back in the day. Nowadays, obviously, it doesn't, it's, not, it's not common. Dawud had blue eyes and blonde hair. He was a small kid. He took some stones and he said, Allah's name, and he shoots at Goliath. وَقَتَلَ دَاوُدُ جَالُوتَ Dawud kills Jalut. Okay? You all know the story. You know what the crazy part is? Fast forward thousands of years later. What was the greatest invasion that the world has ever seen? By which group of people? Which army was the greatest invasion that decimated the world? The Romans? The Mongols were the people thought they were Yajuj and Majuj in their times. That's how crazy the Mongols were. Genghis Khan's army would have four, each a warrior would have four horses. And they wouldn't stop. When one horse got tired, they'd slaughter it and feed the blood and the meat to the other horses. And it comes about the women of the army of the Mongols that they struck so much fear when they entered Baghdad and Bukhara, when Genghis Khan entered Bukhara, where Imam Bukhari is from, he, he, he filled the masjid where Imam Bukhari used to teach with, with skulls of the inhabitants of Bukhara. And he went and he sat on the mimbar where Imam Bukhari used to give dars. And he said, I am the punishment from your Allah upon you. Because people have forgotten Allah. He entered Baghdad and ransacked Baghdad and Baghdad could not get up for another few hundred years. And Baghdad was the jewel. Baghdad was the jewel of the Muslim Empire. It was uh, laid down by Abdullah bin Mas'ud in the time of Umar bin Khattab. It was the jewel, it was the seat of Khilafat. It was one of our own that betrayed it. He went to Genghis Khan and he said, I can get you inside to the streets into the capital of Baghdad. And he betrayed it. And when he betrayed it and he gave the keys up and Genghis Khan decimated Baghdad, he came and he came for his prize. Genghis Khan said, kill him as well. 
He said, but I was with you. You said you betrayed your own. What makes me, what makes me think that you would not betray me? And the women struck such fear. This is written in Western history books. I'm not even quoting from the Eastern traditions. The women in the Mongolian army created so much fear that they would lie down 10 men and tell them, wait here, I need to go to my house to get a knife to slaughter you. Don't move. And not a single one of them would have the guts to move. Genghis Khan's army's first defeat was at the hands of the Mamluks, those who were once slaves, at Ayn Jalut, where Dawud defeated Goliath. Was the very place that the Mongolian army faced its first defeat at the hands of the Muslims, which led to a, a cataclysmic effect of finally the Mongolian invasion being halted. Had they not been defeated at that moment, the entire Europe would have fell at their knees. This is written by Western historians, I'm not even quoting Western historians today. Inshallah, the next three rakats will be mine. <laughs>